This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Sailing frequencies open, sir. Yes. It is the next episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. I am your host, Jordan Hoffman. Thank you for tuning in once again. Thank you for liking us on Facebook. Oh, for the love of God, like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Today is a special day. <clears throat> we have with us in the studio, on the Battle Bridge of Deck 44, uh, <laughs> Texas's favorite son, John DeVore. John DeVore, say hello. Hi, Jordan. How are you? It's nice to see you. I don't know if Texas would admit admit to me. But you do nothing but admit to it. I You love Texas. I am no. I have a complicated relationship with Texas. Uh-huh. I am what you call an ethnic Texan. I was raised by devout Texans outside of Texas. And in a way I was kind of raised to to regard Texas the way I imagine uh, uh, some Jewish people are raised to regard Israel. Texas is the promised land, yeah, and I will one day return to it, dead or alive. <laughs> um, but I, I have this why, and, and it's you know, and I used to, and it's and it's funny that you bring up Texas out of the game. My, I, the way I explain Texas to non-Texans, yeah, is that they are American, they are America's Klingons. <laughs> Texans are America's Klingons. They are a, they are a feisty. Yeah. Uh, uh, fight happy warrior people. Yeah, and Americans outside of Texas always like to make fun of Texans, and you know, and, and you know, especially you know, nor, you know, Northerners love to make fun of Texans. But when there's a war, yeah, America needs Texans because <laughs> they're always the first in line to be like, well, we got to go kick some ass. Right. <laughs> um, so yes, I am an ethnic. I am a. I have a complicated relationship uh, with Texas. I thought you were born and raised. There's so much I was a- not. My father worked for a a a Texas politician, mm. and I am technically a Beltway brat. My oh. siblings were all either you know raised, spent the, the majority of their lives in Texas, but I was raised in in the Beltway by devout Texans, and it was like. Um, you know, we were strangers in a strange land. Right, right. You know, uh, nothing, nothing in the D.C. area was as good as Texas. Sure. There was nothing that good. Uh, so I get, you know, and I spent summer in Texas, and, yeah. and of course, you know, my mom is Mexican American, um, so which I'm, is more Texan than Texas. It um, is for a mom, anyhow. Uh, look, I, I've accepted that. In the, uh, you know, my great 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 granddad on my mom's side. Uh, went to bed in Mexico, 
and one day woke up in Texas. Uh, 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 Texas is is that was the transporter involved? That, that, no, he's just like one night. Not one night. He's like good night, Mexico. Right. And the next day, he's like, where did all these white guys with cowboy hats <laughs> welcome to Mexico? And they were like, you mean Texas? Um, uh, uh, so again, very complicated. Very yeah. very complicated. Yeah. All right. Well, the the I'm glad you brought up politics because the reason we have John on today, John, for those of those few of you who don't know is an award <laughs> an award winning essayist that's right uh, writer columnist uh, radio personality from Sirius uh, XM and um, long time ago long time ago back when Sirius and XM before they merged right right during the merger which is uh, they realized when they merged they had to cut costs so they hired you instead of two other people <laughs> no they, hi they hired me before the oh. merger and then they merged and they were like well we can let go of the fact <laughs> <laughs> like you know, um, it was it was a fascinating time to be part of that merger, right? And, 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 and Sirius was great. It was a great th experience. Those of you who uh, watch uh, late night uh, cable news may recognize John's voice. He oh. has been a come on. I'm trying to build you up here. Has been a um, <laughs> try hard. Has been a uh, a guest on uh, Fox News as sort of the sacrificial lamb liberal. Yeah. How many? How many I, visits it, have you done? Maybe I, I used to. I, uh, my God. Let's see here. Give me a ballpark figure. You know, probably eight or nine years. I yeah. did it on and off various shows, you know, uh, predominantly their late night clown show, Red Eye. Yeah. Uh, and then an assortment of other. But I, 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 I this would go on for years. And again, the, the, you know, the son of a, of, a, of a political operative, a Democrat. Um, I would used to love to go on. Yeah, you know, I uh, for years and years I did a lot of political satire. Um, I once ran a site called, or I, I, I co-created a site called WhiteHouse.org. Right. With uh, which confused uh, ants all for for years. Right. I, I yeah. it, it was it was the brainchild of uh, of my friend John Wooden, and for the entirety of the Bush presidency we tormented him with a site that we designed to look like the white house <laughs> but was in fact a grotesque just just cra it was so, it was vulgar it, yeah. It, yeah, it was it was proper satire it was grotesque yeah. it was ugly uh the vice president tried to shut it down really yes he sent his lawyer david addington who would one day become white house legal this counsel. is cheney you're talking yes about. cheney yeah. sent the man who would one day create the legal framework for torture <laughs> To send my to send John. They decided to cut their teeth on you. To send John Wooden a not a cease and desist. It was a wonderful letter. This letter that basically said, "Hey, you should shut your parody down, or else." <laughs> um, and the ACL. I mean, it was going to become a big thing. Yeah. And then that's why we invaded Iraq. Because they they felt that they had to save well, you, face. You know, eventually <laughs> it, became, it was going to become a story, but then the war started. Right. Oh, that's okay. what happened. All right. All right. Too bad. So anyway, yeah. I, you know, I love uh, politics. Yeah, I love part partisan of thing. politics. So, and also, though, being part Klingon, yeah. <laughs> you know, I grew up with a lot of of conservative friends. I'm I'm I, I really def I really call myself a Texas Democrat. Right. Um, which just means you like to shoot yourself in the foot. Hey. Uh, that's pretty good, Jordan. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty funny joke. Um, so I'm used to conservatives, yeah, uh, to a certain degree, sane ones, yeah. Um, I, I enjoy the uh, I enjoy the horse race. I enjoy the debate. I enjoy the talking. And but do you enjoy it as much this year? Because it seems I, I want to frame this. By the way, we are recording this 
the morning of the presidential election, right, right now, and we are going to release this as we normally do. You know, I like to think of each episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, as living in perpetuity, as a message in a bottle, much like For the, the future. Yeah, much like the episode where um, the Doctor was discovered in a program uh, centuries beyond Voyager. Oh, that was a nice episode. Yeah, I like to think of each episode as living on. But today we have a little bit of a timestamp because while we release these on midnight, Wednesday mornings, late, late Tuesday night on Eastern Standard Time, yeah. um, and by the time that happens later tonight, one of the two candidates will, God, pro- we will hope so. probably be uh, uh, yes. given the, right. <clears throat> the nod. Either, but either, we don't know either who Jill is. Stein or Gary Johnson. <laughs> Will be president of these United I States. I gotta talk to you about Jill Stein. So late last I night, can't, I can't. No, maybe talk about no, Jill no, no, no. Stein. Please. I just discovered that she was in a folk rock band in the nineties. <laughs> no, no, and it's not that bad. Really? Yeah, they were called Somebody's Sister, and she is the co-lead singer. It's her and a dude named Ken something or other. And I swear to God, it's all on YouTube. <clears throat> in the nineteen nineties, they put out four albums, and. As far as like opening acts for the Indigo Girls go, right? It's not hor- some of the lyrics. Wait, are- is, it, is it Indigo Girls? Because that that is that is high end for me. No, no, me. I'm saying is it like more, or is it like Lilith Fair second stage, fourth stage, All Lilith right. Fair fourth stage? All it's right. it's, but it's not incompetent. Okay, they were. I like that genre of '90s. Yeah, it's very earnest. I like it's got yeah. jang- jangly yeah. guitar, yeah. nice harmonies. I like that. Some it of the lyrics, some of the lyrics are a little bit like about voting. You know, so yeah. it's a little bit on the. Well, nose. you gotta, you know, in the '90s we yeah. used to uh, rock the vote. Right, yeah. Well, they would folk rock the vote. And I tell you, if you go to YouTube and Somebody's Sister, uh, there was one song that was just called Boston or Streets of Boston. Yeah. And I said, this is not, this is like, if you have it on the back, if you had it on the background and didn't tell anybody and it was on low enough that it couldn't be heard too well, nobody would say anything. They're like, oh, John's listening to some, you know, there are a lot of bands. There's yeah. some Indigo Girls opening act. Downy Mildew. Remember the band Downy Mildew? I do not. I had a few of their albums. God, sing some. I will not. But uh, I used to like them because they came around. I saw them live. And they were, it, and it's, it's um, men had, and women. If I, if I had known this, right. I might have changed my vote this morning <laughs> when I was standing in line at 6 a.m. in Brooklyn. Jill Stein and Gary Johnson, who's a real hoot. But let me ask you a question about politics because you seem to know a lot about it. I would love it. to. They always answer. say the third parties the day before, because I, I do not like Donald Trump, obviously, because I'm a human being. Um, but I do think he's the most anti-Trek. Oh well, do you know about Trek against Trump? I mean, well, uh, yeah, that makes yeah. complete sense. But he is the he is the he is the nightmare yeah. villain. What well, Trek villain? He's Goldacott. He, he, he is he is Goldacott <laughs> with a red stupid baseball hat. So um, I'm not a fan of his, but I do think that a lot of other countries. Um, you know, really, really sane political places that have it all figured out, like Israel, for example. Yeah, right. <laughs> but what, but a, pl- what, a, <laughs> what, a, what a stable... Right. <laughs> places like that, and Britain and Europe in general. Yeah, have, yeah England, that's, that they, that's, some good, that's some good examples there. Other they, countries they, uh-huh. have multiple political parties. Nah, in a parliamentary system. Um, but I, we, we don't have a parliamentary. System. Yeah, but don't you think that America would would benefit from multiple no, parties? No, look, from it's real a mis- parties? It, but it's also a misunderstanding of what the American political parties are. Uh, we have third parties and fourth parties and fifth parties. These parties are uh, alliances 
of smaller groups and self-interests. You're talking you know, about wings within the party? No, I'm saying that these that, that, that our modern political, you know, our, our system of government is a winner take all. There's a majority and a minority, and the majority and and the minority are comprised of all kinds of other uh, uh, political interests and caucuses and groups mm. and smaller groups. We have tons of parties. The KKK is a third party. It just so happens this time around they have <laughs> they have joined one of the major political parties in full practically right, right so this idea that we have two parties and that there are these outliers is not true we have outlier parties they're just so out there they cannot find consensus within oh, the see. larger right, al- right. A, 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 you know alliance but don't you, you think- know for instance the, the, the republican party right now is largely an alliance between rich people yeah. and the hills have eyes <laughs> Um, the well, Democrats are yeah. more like the oh federation of planets. You got <laughs> yeah. some Vulcans, right. you got some Andorans, you got Brooklyn. You got some Ferengis in there too. You got a big, you know, yeah. got the, you know eventually the Klingons, the Texans yeah. are there. Right, right. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I just think it's a, a misunderstanding because I, I, I like our system of government because uh, there are ways to stop power, right? Uh, but if you're the majority, there yeah. are ways to really take the football and run. I see what you're saying. So so you do not bemoan the fact that, forget Gary Johnson and Jill Stein for a moment, but the Green Party and the Libertarian Party and perhaps other parties, the fact that they're not substantially on any tickets doesn't no, bug you. No, it does not bother. Because, because look, they're yeah. they too fringe to wield power. Right. Or, yeah. I think, you know, and, and they're, but, but that, that's not to say... And I'm not. I am not an expert on the Green Party's platform, but you know we have it's made elected. Made out of nice balsa wood. <laughs> we have. A, we have. A, you know, we have not elected. We 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 hopefully will elect a party whose platform has incorporated um, um, some very powerful language about climate control more so than has been in. The, that's just the way. Yeah. This works. It's a it's a messy grind. You right. know, I think a lot of people were very uh, uh, disappointed uh, internally during the Democratic primaries, but like you know, these were multiple alliances at war with each other. With you know, but who had lots in common, trying to figure out how to create a functioning consensus. I think that's one thing about Sanders's run is that at least in theory, he he maybe yanked uh, Clinton a little bit to the left. Yes, but that's because Whereas there, but tr- that, that's because uh, uh, Bernie Sanders represented uh, and still represents a large group of progressives. Yeah, and they all found a consensus, and part of the mass compromise was a move to the left. And we'll see in the next four years if Hillary Clinton is elected. We'll see in the next four years if it's a legitimate move to the left, and then we can go from there. Yeah. Well, whatever the left means anymore, uh, just a caveat, because a lot of these terms, progressive, liberal, conservative, they've all been blown up, and, and, and we'll see what, what that means. Yeah. Well, I'm skeptical, but we'll see. But we'll see. But um, So, John, you're yeah. a pop culture aficionado. I am. You pop love, culture junkie. You love Star Trek. I do. I love you, it. You, probably as a great writer, an award-winning writer, have a great desk where you sit and create your masterpieces. Do you work in one specific place or do you move Oh, around? absolutely. If you're a writer, you have to have a space to work. And I think all writers, too, are a little uh, superstitious. They need, right. like a, they need a space where they can be creative. Right. So what you need on your desk looking at you are some of the great emblems of pop culture. And what you need 
are expertly crafted models of the various starships from Star Trek. Now, luckily, John, for you... Me? Yes, there is a company called Eagle Moss, and they make what's called the Star Trek Starships Collection. It is the only licensed uh, modeling company which makes these little doodads, these little goo-gaws, and they come... It's a, it's a, I it's love a, doodads. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a club. You join it, and for tw- twice a month... You get a new one in the mail. And at first you think, eh, they got the Enterprise. Sure. All right. They got Voyager. Great. How deep can it go? Defiant? Defiant, top level. You get all that. There's like a 75 of them waiting for you. We're talking every ship that ever showed up (laughs) on the show. Some of them were only on for like a fraction of a second. There's the Enterprise J from the episode of Enterprise when Archer went into a possible future for like a minute and there was a picture on the wall of what the Enterprise J might look like, that's in there. Harry Mudd's shuttle is in there. They got stuff from the movies, stuff from the shows, and it's a club and it comes, they're beautiful, they come on a little thing, you, you, you mount it, you put it on the shelf, and uh, it comes with a, a nice, I'm not, a, not like a pamphlet or a leaflet, it comes with a magazine with nice colors, nice photos. Uh, it's a great thing. And so if you go to st-starships.com slash engage, st-starships.com slash engage, you sign up. The first one's only five bucks. You get the Enterprise D, you get a little magazine, and then every two weeks you get the new one. The price goes up after that. That's not going to lie about that. But remember, caveat emptor, like I said earlier. But uh, this is a great product. I love Latin. This is a great product. And I, I the, the Romulan Warbird, the um, you name it. So uh, if you're a fan and if you like collecting things and if you're a little bit obsessive because you want them all. And if you like to have space battles on your desk. Borg Cube, Borg Sphere. You got them both. You got both Borgs? Borg Cube. Borg Sphere shuttlecrafts, the Galileo. That sounds awesome. Uh, but they are the 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 real hook is the quality, very detailed, hand painted, no joke. So that's Eagle Moss st com, no st starshipscom slash engage. Sign up today. Uh, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. We were talking about the election. You know, yeah, that's today. That's today. Well, no, I'm a little bit. <laughs> You know, so, Jordan, it's yeah, only yeah. probably one of the most historical days in our lifetime. Right. No, That's today, it right is. now. So it's a little bit it's a little bit freaky. Uh and I'm just curious, do you think let's say Donald Trump gets elected? Because it could happen. Here are the two Sure, sure. Let me just get throw the two it's, reasons it's, it's why possible. it could because nobody <laughs> predicted Brexit. All the polls said Brexit's not happening, and then the morning of, nah, nah, don't worry about Brexit, and Brexit happened. And number two is, and this is something that, the, my source on this is not exactly trusted. It's a fellow by the name of Michael Moore, and though I may like his tailor, um, he uh, is a bit, of a, a bit of a clown. I like to think of you as a younger, sexy <laughs> He's a bit of a clown, but he did say this, uh, that the morning of the uh, primaries in Michigan, which is a key state... Uh, Hillary Clinton was up anywhere between 9 and 22 points the morning of, and then she lost to Bernie Sanders that day. So, now that you've heard those two terrifying facts, if if Trump is elected president, we do have something in this country called the uh, checks and balances. We're not the Romulans. 
We're not the Cardassians. It's not a total totalitarian state. Well, it depends. Uh, you know, I I think the best projection is that the Senate splits 50-50. Uh, and Democrats pick up, I think it's like maybe 14 seats in the House. Mm-hmm. But that's still... Maybe I, again, I, I it's off the top of my head. I still that's that's still a thirty seat or so majority for the Republicans. Yeah. So then the question, if uh, Trump were to be elected, the question is, what is his relationship to the House and Senate? Yeah. How much of a green, you know, of a of a what's the word? Um, stamp of approval. Green well, light. Right. Right. Rubber much, stamp. Uh, rubber stamp. Thank you. Uh, how much of a rubber stamp they'll give their president? Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, the the Democrats. Had a crazy primary. I think they're, they're I think they're stronger because of it. The Republicans have an even crazier primary, and I'm not entirely sure that they are going to they're going to heal anytime soon. Well, My, one of the things, one of the many X factors that uh, is driving pollsters crazy and ma- ma- making the numbers go crazy is I, you know, the, the Republicans demographically are a smaller party, uh, but a loyal party. They show up to vote. We don't even know how many, you know, because keep in mind, 55 million Republicans did not vote. Not 50, 55% of Republicans did not vote for Trump in the primary. Right. They so how many of Cruz these, or, or, how many of these Republicans aren't going to show up? Well, you know, or, or they aren't going to, or you know what I'm saying. One thing that I'm thinking of is they may hate him now, but if he wins, they'll love him real quick. Well, look, everyone loves a winner and everyone yeah. loves power. Um, yeah. um, but that's also, but here's the thing too that 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 Trump supporters should have considered as well you know if you're a conservative a social conservative and you are anti-choice and you believe that the government should set up uh, little tiny police precincts inside the uterus of every woman if you're one of those people yeah. uh, who thinks uncle sam should tattoo property of the u.s government <laughs> inside women's genitals um if you're one of those reasonable people there is no evidence that donald trump a lifetime supporter of planned parenthood yeah is going to support your f- views in the White House. No, particularly because he's not beholden to any of those so, people because he finances his own campaign. So, you know, in an alternate reality, in a Star Trekian alternate reality, Donald yeah. Trump uh, exploits all of the weaknesses in our in our manifold institutions, yeah. gets to be president, and and produces a golden age of liberalism, <laughs> where of, of liberal capitalism, where it's free abortions for all. <laughs> My that would, friends with that Russia. Would be, that would be the ultimate O. Henry ending. Is that because a lot of the Republicans have been like, no, no, he's a Democrat in disguise. He only joined this party because it was he, useful he, to him. He has exploited weaknesses yeah. in the primary and in the media, and there's no reason to think he has not exploited those weaknesses. In the Republican Party, and and I'm not even going to say he shouldn't. If there are weaknesses in the system, and someone comes along and exploits them, it's the system's fault. Uh, uh, You're like and, Chief and, O'Brien and, and, checking and, and out one the of my, uh, one of my arguments against uh, uh, Trump. Not that it matters anymore, either way, uh, to conservatives, is that I, I don't think there's any evidence that he will represent. Your interests. I think his only interest is himself, really. I mean, I know that sounds very trite, but I don't think any of it's thought too well through for him. And uh, I, I, I will be kind as we as we do a post mortem on the election. You know, he he's ama- He's he's. It's fascinating. Without any support, 
yeah. really, without any, without the, without you know, in these parties, let's let's be let's be honest, they are two of the most powerful organizations in the history of he, the world. He toppled it. He, he did, right he came like he was a conqueror, and he came yep. in and saw a fortress and somehow got a scaffolding over the wall and to- and toppled you know. the Republican fortress. And who knows? Uh, we we could be listening to this tomorrow, and I you know, and I could be weeping. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know it is it is like noon or whatever right now. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what projections are. I know what the the polls say. Yeah, yeah. Um, if he were to become president, my lord. It's like people tomorrow are going to be wearing shoes on their heads and <laughs> hats on their feet. I'm going to run up and down Sixth Avenue yeah. <laughs> naked. It's going to be just, it's going to be yeah. kooky. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. Well, we put a very interesting timestamp on this conversation. Luckily, it will be moot soon, and I think that it'll go uh, it'll go the way that reason dictates. Um, but I tell you, like you said, it's a really interesting time. It is. Now, um, we need Star Trek more than ever. We do. We need the new show soon. It's coming No, I just mean Star Trek as a philosophy. We do. We need that. I well, can't wait for uh, the new show. Star Trek Discovery. Oh, I know. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. STD. It's not called that. It's not STD. That's a big... That's My job is to make sure people don't call it STD. I know. That's why I looked uh, you right in the although eye. Although you can't... That's why I looked you right in the eye <laughs> and said, well... And I had a little dialogue. I was like, yeah. well, John... Yeah. He's the host and has responsibilities. Right. <laughs> he, you, on the other hand, have none. Right, right. I can't wait for it. Yeah. I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. Well, you can call it STD, but I just want to let you know that there is a precedent, precedent not to call it STD. Every previous Star Trek show has never been ST whatever. I always thought that was T- just fan speak. No, it's legit. I mean, there is something called the Star Trek Encyclopedia, which is the official canon Bible, which was written by Denise and Michael Okuda, who've been guests on this show. And internally, externally... Uh, Star Trek the original series is TOS. Star Trek the Next Generation is TNG. Deep Space Nine is DS the numeral nine. Voyager is VGR. Enterprise is ENT. And the new show, Star Trek Discovery, is DSC. Oh, look. I love Discovery yeah. as a title. Yeah. I love it because it says a lot of what I love about But when they but when the show is so good that it's catching on, if it's S T D that's catching on like an epidemic, okay, that's fine too. You know. I mean <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what the the new movie now I'm yeah. looking you straight in the eye yeah. and I'm and I just want you to know, such yeah. as our friendship, yes. I am nuking every inappropriate <laughs> thing I want to say. As they dance from ganglia to ganglia, just nuking them. Very, nuking them. Very kind I of love you. you, CBS. You've been a Star Trek fan your whole life, right? I have. Now, because you are, in addition to a policy wonk and a very no, no, knowledgeable no, no, just man. just a pundit, just a talking head. But there's a difference between a pundit and a wonk. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's like a difference between a, 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 a beta Z and a bully in, a good pundit and a wonk. I like how you did that. No, yeah. I, I don't. No, a wonk knows things. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you just have opinions. You just have feelings. Oh, this is media. You don't right. have to know things to have opinions. 
And also, just to be sure, while I, you know, I, I had a political show on Sirius, I've done, yeah. I've done a legitimate political talk. I would just go on Fox for years, yeah, and just be like shrug and be like, love Obama, <laughs> you know, I would go on for months and just be like, they'd be like, and John, I'm gonna vote for Hillary, <laughs> and then just get hate, just wash my hair in hate. Right. So I was just a pundit, just I know nothing, nothing. A pundit, I believe, is an Indian term. Uh, for wise man, <laughs> and and it is it is one of the sweetest subtlest jokes yeah. in all of media. Right, every every person on TV yeah. talking knows nothing. We're just because they're know, too busy talking to learn anything. We're show people, right? right. <laughs> so you've been on a lot of the different networks. Which one has the best food in the green room? Is MSNBC like very? You know what? Granola? I was on. I was on. I did a bit on CBS Early Morning yeah. years and years ago. A, 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 a girlfriend of mine at the time, she and I had gotten into one of the local newspapers <laughs> because we, we agreed to sign a relationship prenup. <laughs> it was one of those great like New York tabloid yeah. non-story things. Yeah. And so CBS was like, "Do you knuckleheads want yeah. to come on and have a legitimate what conversation?" What was in the prenup? Like, who gets to keep it? It was just—it was just—it yeah. was a joke. I—it was just to make people go, to make married people go, "What?" Yeah. And so, <laughs> so CBS had us on in the morning network. Yeah. We made network. Yeah. To come on and talk just about this dumb thing. Right. And my one memory yeah. from it. Other than they—they they did not do my hair the way I wanted to. They made it look very flat. Was what a what a delicious spread yeah. <laughs> because I was like one of the differences between Fresh one of the differences yeah. between right yeah. between network and cable is proteins <laughs> <laughs> cable TV no proteins it's CNN a starch. just starch. CNN yeah. just carbs yeah. Fox News ah, Jesus Fox is a great uh, Fox is a great organization because they are not they're not a great or- they can be it's complicated. Yeah. Um, but they are they are a they are a a frugal organization in many ways. They are no frills. They they get it done, you know. Um, and so their green room offerings are modest. Skittles. <laughs> They're modest. Right. They're modest. They, they do not. Uh, here's uh, fo- uh, one of my experiences. Fox does not put on airs. Yeah. In many ways. Conservatives, right? CNN a little bit better, sure. a little nicer, <laughs> yeah. a little better. Yeah. They're like we got real, you know, we got the big building Bananas, here, Columbus Circle. Maybe well, they're CNN. We gotta be global, right? You know. right. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, or but it, it could also have been my station. Maybe right. if I was like somebody, yeah. There's a like hot and cold buffet. Well, you say green room, Fox is, is frugal. You're not telling me Hannity gets locks on his bagel, right? I mean, he's a he's a big wig, right? I don't know if Hannity eats bagels these days. Oh, I see what you're saying. All right, listen. Okay, so um, <laughs> is he on CBS Radio? Uh, no, no, I don't. I think didn't so. know. I have uh, no idea. The um, the re- so I was saying, not in addition to being a political pundit. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. You've been writing about entertainment and for, I have. for years. I've I mean, been. Fil- ent- I have been a film critic. Yeah. Um, and I've written. I recently for. Uh, the New York Post's uh, streaming site Decider. I wrote a recap of the last season of Game of Thrones. Right. Every recap was me losing my mind <laughs> because I couldn't believe at this stage of my career <laughs> I would be writing 
a fucking recap. <laughs> so if you want to read what is both an excellent recap right. and an egotistical <laughs> culture writer brought low having a panic attack, every yeah. recap, every episode right. is me losing my mind. So which character? Decider.com. Do you, that's where you can find them. Which character did you see yourself most as? As Reek, I would imagine, right? <laughs> I mean, was that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Before I began the right to recaps, yeah, you were I Theon. castrated No, you were <laughs> Theon when you walked in. You were Reek yeah, when you came in. That's out. exactly right. Wow. Uh, but yes, I've written about, uh, uh, and, you know, I, I worked in men's magazines for years yes. and would cover the geek beat. Yes. So the geek beat being uh, your love of Star Trek is yes. not is not just a small thing in your world. You were no, telling me earlier not. that when you saw Wrath of Khan in the theater, this this uh, was a big moment for you. It was, I, you know, and I think we're about. You to, were, I think we're about the same age. Uh, I was twenty nine. Um, <laughs> you know, right. I'm at that age yeah. where I make that joke, yeah. and I just think it's the funniest thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's the funniest thing. I was carded yeah. when I bought my Nicorette, <laughs> and and I gave I gave the nice person my ID, yeah. and I'm like, <laughs> I'm only 22, <laughs> uh, and she was just like, I've heard that joke before. Uh, so, I I I was ground zero for Star Wars. Yeah, right. Um, just generationally, and. What I knew about Star Trek was that my grandma, my my Mexican American grandma, loved it. She yeah. loved it. Um, but I, you know, and I remember going to see Star Trek the movie and being underwhelmed. Yeah, because it's like watching it again. It's very, uh, it's a very cerebral movie. It's very good, but it's not for kids. It's it, not for. It, it yeah. isn't. It isn't. Although I, you know, I rewatched it recently, and they really were pioneering in the use of giant, malevolent cloud monsters. <laughs> since since then, yeah. Hollywood is like when they can't really decide on who the villain oh, is. Yeah. They're like a malevolent cloud sounds sure. about good. A lot of purple. The Silver Surfer movie had a cloud. Oh, ah, oh, that thing. Green was the Lantern worst. had a cloud. Recently, I love Doctor Strange until we get to the cloud at the end. It wasn't a cloud. A it cloud was with a, a face. It was cloud a, with a face. It cloud was the, with a face. It was the Dread Dormammu. What do you? Cloud with a face. <laughs> Talking. De talking death cloud. He was a talking death cloud. Right, thank you. A confused um, talking death What? <laughs> so then I go and see uh, The Wrath of Khan. Right. Now let me compare two emotional moments. Yeah. Right. You're a kid and you watch Return of the Jedi and Darth Vader saves his son. Um, you know, th that was an important moment, especially for a generation that was really reeling from the the, the, the divorce bloom of the 70s. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, to see your to see, a, you know, and, and Star Wars is a family saga. Yes. To see a father who had been bad sacrifice redeem himself. Redeem himself. Right. Yeah. It, it's moving. If you're a kid, you love your dad, you know, yeah. and, and especially if you have a complicated relationship with your dad. What a moment. When. Spock uh, uh, sacrificed himself for the, the for the many. Yeah. Um. I it it really hit me, and I was at a at a point in my life because where it hit me, where you know I was probably God, you know, ten, nine, ten, eleven. The, the idea that. And then I would I would discover this idea later in my life. The idea that you would die for a friend 
that a friend is is as close as family, that you would sacrifice yourself for somebody who isn't, uh, for somebody who you have chosen to be with because right. family you can't choose, uh, was was just a hell of an emotional moment for me as a little kid. And it's it's one of the things that I love about Star Trek. I, and, and again, Star Trek's uh, this, you know, it's very cerebral. It's a, 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 a technologist dream, utopian dream, all these wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also about a tin can with a with a fa- with a family that's not related with each other kicking around the universe. Right. And and that was just it, it, it was just this crazy moment for me to consider that you would. That you would sacrifice yourself for someone who is not your own blood. Right, right. You know, uh, and I, you know, and I even found that moment when he neck pinches bones to be poignant. Sure. Uh, because he knew that his friend would not let him uh, do right. that. Yeah. And for me, that was the moment where I got hooked on Star Trek. It wasn't the opera or the effects or the very smart science fiction, which I would come around to later, yeah. uh, the emotional core of it. And it's something that I love about Westerns too. You know, I'm an enormous fan of uh, Star Trek and Lonesome Dove, <laughs> which I call yeah. which I call Texas Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Lonesome um, Dove is big. Yeah. I love Lonesome Dove. And Lonesome Dove, like all great You're Ameri- talking about the, the book or the TV show both, or both? Both. Yeah. And you know what? And, I, and, I, and I'll connect it all, too, because obviously Star Trek has that kind of cowboy frontier thing that was the fashion in the 60s. Sure, yeah. Um, um, my best, my favorite aspect of Westerns is this idea that you go off you explore, and the only way you can survive in a hostile land is the love and loyalty you have with your companions, your friends, your non-family. Um, uh, but that, to me, was the 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 thing that looped me into uh, Star Trek. And so when I got older and I began to watch Star Trek: The Next Generation, yeah. you know the the friendship and loyalty between Picard and Riker, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the very father-son relationship between two people who are not related, just the, the family aspect of it. You see Picard and Riker as father-son, not colleagues? I see their, look, it's a great relationship because there's obviously respect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is this, I mean, he is a paterfamilis, like, like yeah. Picard, is a, Picard is a father figure in the best sense. I, you know, he's not patronizing. I don't think he looks at his crew as children. Mm. Um, but there is a there. There. He's the dad that treats their kids like grownups. I, I'm going to treat you like a grownup. If you want to be treated like one, you have to behave like one. Riker. There are various times in the series where he has been offered. Right, uh, being captain. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's like one of his whole shticks. Is right. that. Why would I choose to be number the the first right. on a dipshit ship when I can be second in command under the greatest right. captain on the greatest As ship? As Milton said, "Why, why serve in heaven?" Right. But I think that's important to his character. He's the anti-Peter principle. Well, uh, no, Riker. I, he refu- he knows that he is best served as second in command on the ship. Right. He makes a choice. Yeah. And and he makes a choice, and part of that relationship is that he chooses. To defer to Picard, yeah, um, but it is it is not blood, it is not family, yeah, you know, um, um, and and I and that's a thread through all the the series, um, um, 
this kind of family. Yeah. You know, um, and and I think it's something that is very. I mean, I think that is, I think that is something that's important to Lord of the Rings. I think it's important to Lonesome Dove. Sure. I, it's and it's important to American pop culture. I, you know, Friends, Friends is about the love of non-family. Right. And the Mystery Machine. Right. You know, Sco- are any of the Scooby-Doo Mystery Machines? Are they? Re- is their brother sister? Is Velma and Fred? Are they related? No. I mean, no, I don't think they are. Daphne, is Daphne have, and Fred dating? I think they're. It's a, It's the sixties. So Fred was dating. You know both what I watched them. recently? Because I had forgotten. Because I'm getting into the later episode of DS9. Yeah. I completely forgot that Odo. Yeah. And Kira. Yeah. Hook up. They would prefer that you forgot that too. <laughs> I, 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 I was because I wanted to watch that the yeah. final awesome arcs. Yeah. As we get into this great space opera, great space battles. Yeah. It was so good. So good. DS9 might be the series that is the most consistent across all seasons. It's certainly the most but but they the the deepest. They had, you know? But they were having sex. Yes, they were. And why did they do that? Well, because they needed to give I mean they needed to give. They like to do that in the seventh season. They like to give characters incest hookups. I mean, you know, <laughs> Worf and, and Troy yeah, hooked up, was... and then Worf and Jadzia. Yeah. Well, um, but Worf is great. But who wouldn't sleep with Worf? <laughs> but you know, there is an interesting thing because Odo's shape as Rene Aubergenois is just a choice, right? So when the lights dim, Odo can appear as however Odo wishes, or more to the point, however Kira wishes. So I'm saying. You know, we are making long sustained <laughs> eye contact, <laughs> and I would love to jump into this, right. but I want you to keep talking. No, no, I'm saying <laughs> if you're gonna make love to a uh, yeah. a fat shapeshifter, right? Um, like on like on duty, like during the day. Right. So if I'm Re- dating a, a changeling, a changeling. If you're dating a changeling, Rene Aubergenois is a fine pick for like office hours. Right, but when the lights but, go down, I can whisper yeah. into that changeling's ear and say, "Look like John DeVore." Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever you want. <laughs> like, I need you to look like John DeVore. <laughs> That's right. I no, think, no, no, John DeVore, right now. I think if you put the closed captions on <laughs> Deep Space Nine Blu-rays, you'll hear it's whispered that Nana Visitor said that very, very. Well, I mean, it's an interesting thing that is somehow the only time it ever comes up is there's a moment when. Um, Kira and Odo are, are, you know, exploring their love and Odo like appears to her in like, like a nebulous, like, like, not not so much a cloud, just like winking lights. And she's enveloped in sparkles and her face lights up and there's definitely a sexual energy to that. And that's great, man. I didn't know that. I just, I just. (laughs) No, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to go back and yeah. watch that on Netflix. But so, what is going on in that sequence? And like, you know, cloud sex. Yeah, and that's this was great. this was on. I mean, if this was on HBO, who knows what would have happened in that scene? So yeah, that's how I that's how I got into Star Trek. I, I like it as a, as a tale of of the old west. Yes, but of, of well, you know how of friends of uh, yeah, uh, you know the the, the love yeah. of friends that that moment, the whole all you know like when my when my. When my when my father passed away, long ago, I I would meet all of these old friends, his all these old Texans, yeah, who wished me condolences, and they loved my dad, and they would all come up to me, gritted teeth, 
and 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 wish me condolences in that and and choke in the way that that beautiful bad actor Shatner chokes <laughs> when he's giving the eulogy over the the photon torpedo. Sure. Right? Never met anyone more human. Um I, I again. I, I just it, it it is it is, and it, and it's funny. You know, I, I I'm a, a film critic. I have a wide palette. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that last act in Star Trek Two, is just one of the finest moments in pop culture. Yeah, it just hits. You know, just it's just a great. It's it, just so good, and you know, and it's just and it's it, there's just so much going on. Um, it's very, it's really perfect. And what's so great about it is that it's only after you really scrutinize it a lot, you'll realize that it's it's very low budget. Um, Shatner and Montalban were never in the same room. They only met. They met when they shot Space Seed in the '60s. Right. But when they did Wrath of Khan, <laughs> they didn't meet me. yeah. until like doing press. That's funny. Yeah. They just yeah, talk to view screens. Yeah, 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 they, yeah. they never speak, see each other. But and, you know, it's uh, such a it, it is for me the high water mark. you know, I, I would put it up there in terms of those '80s spectacles. Yeah, Spielbergian spectacles. Nick Meyer, uh, what's his name? Nick Meyer. Yeah, right. Uh, it's it's just a tremendous uh, uh, pop culture yeah. moment, I, regardless of. Because and it's perfect too because you don't necessarily need to have seen uh, Space Seed or have been a Trek fan. No, you really don't. It, it is one of those movies that transcends its genre. Uh, it is a naval movie. Yeah. It is about loyalty and friendship and vengeance. Yeah. In a way, it's a shame it's called Star Trek Two because it, it implies that you need to have seen the others. Right. And uh, you really don't. You don't need like. Everybody knows who Kirk, Spock, and Bones are, and Spock is logical and blah blah blah. But even if you somehow have been living under a rock and yeah, you don't know that, you, you don't. You, you don't can come need to it. it. Yeah. You, the the emotional fuel. Yeah. Is in the movie. You don't need context to ultimately uh, uh, feel for these two old men. Yeah. Who are friends, and how one of them sacrifices himself so that his friends may live. Yeah. It is it is timeless. It you know we're talking like, you know, Iliad time, you know, it is it is a timeless sort of story. Yeah. Uh and while I love the entire canon, uh that movie is the is uh, is one of the many instances that it's transcended. You don't need to know any context. Right. And there are and, a lot of the, it's fun, you know, there are a lot of moments in Star Trek that I always think of as classic literature. Um episodes that are that can pretty much live on an I island. I agree, yeah. Like the episode, The Inner Light, which is, you don't really know, need to know anything about Picard or anything. This is the one where he gets zapped and he lives a whole other life on a planet, but it's actually implanted in his mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great episode. Uh, there's, uh, you know, the episode, The Day of the Dove, it's just, it almost feels like it's it's like out of the Bible. It's just like, the, there's, a, there's a big glowing marble on the ship that's killing people and it's fueled by hate. So Kirk... And the Klingon named Kang, in this case, need to chill and love each other, man, so that the marble will disappear. And it's just very, very basic, and it just plays itself out very logically. There's an episode in Deep Space Nine about an old Klingon warrior. Yes. Well, and and, and he... Blood Blood Oath, it's called. Is that it? Right. 
It's uh, and he has to and, go and, and fulfill. That, and yeah. I caught that. It made a it made a, an impression on me because um, I think I just caught that episode on on TV way back in the day. Yeah. And I had not really, you know, this was the great thing about DS9 is that it, it kind of really bridged episodic TV. Sure. Right. Um, and, and so I had not really been catching up with DS9. I didn't really know the arcs. Yeah. And so I found this one episode about just this old general, this blowhard um, uh, uh, at the end of his, his career, yeah. trying for one last hurrah with Worf and fighting the Dominion. And, yeah. Um, uh, and it was a great, it was a yeah. great episode. About oh, I'm old, realizing about now you're, you're, you're speaking about. There's actually, there were old warriors, more, old Klingon warriors, more than once because that worked. So they, they, you're speaking about Martok, I think the guy with one eye. He had one eye. That was, uh, that was the Klingon Martok, um, because he later. Um, it he, was a singular episode. Yeah. Well, he came back. Well, no, 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 no. I don't because he, he dies at the end. It's a Deep Space Nine episode. All right. Well, I'll find out. <laughs> The the um, are you? <laughs> just, his, just keep talking. Are you talking about? Talk to me again about what, what, Mark, about about what it's like for Odo and Kira to have sex, <laughs> and 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 do it really slowly because I gotta tell you, I've known you for almost for for about twenty years. Yeah, I guess so. And I've never seen, such, I've never seen that color, such on passion. Your face. <laughs> I've never seen. You turn such a warm fuchsia. Um, <laughs> it makes it makes me want to explode into a, a, a twinkling cloud. That's what he did. That's what he did. You know, and there was the other time that Odo's transformation was was I don't want to say sexual, but I do want to say biological. It was the time where you know Odo has to um, he can't maintain his solid form for too long i forget the older the, you get you yeah. can't no no you need a pill so he can't maintain his solid form for i don't know whether it's 24 hours 48 36 whatever it is so every x amount of hours he has to relax in a bucket right odo odo sleeps in a bucket that's like the joke so one time in classic sitcom form you know what is it like on every dopey sitcom? They're trapped in a meat locker. They're trapped in a closet. They're trapped in a warehouse overnight, right? That's right. The, you know, and and no no show did that better than Benson. And of course, uh, you know, Rene Aubergenois played Clayton on Benson for a zillion seasons. That's so, a great show. so uh, Odo is trapped in the turbo lift with Loxana Troy, with Major Barrett Roddenberry's character Loxana Troy, and he's like oh, starting to sweat because he's been solid too long. <clears throat> And he's like, I must decompose into liquid. And she, in a very sort of like mother... So Loxana is like a libertine, right? She's very sensual and sexual, but she's an, also a motherly figure. So, she, you know, she's like a space milf, I guess you might want to call her. So um, Loxana... For lack of a better term. <laughs> Loxana is like, you may decompose... You may dissolve into me. And she kind of lifts her dress... Right, kind of lifts it out to catch him, and he just collapses. He's like, Bleh! and he dissolves into like this gushy, uh, sloppy slush. Go on in her dress. Yeah, and I found this to be one of the weirdest things that ever happened on you Star mean Trek. Erotic? I don't think it was erotic, but it wasn't not erotic. That he just like splashes into her. In like, but like, but it's meant like an I will, I will help you, I will carry you. But it's also like a woman helping a man, like that's having a lot of 
trouble keeping it together and it ultimately resolves itself in liquid form. So there's something very strange going on. We should have just been talking about this since the beginning (laughs) of the episode. You know, Brian, we didn't. I s- want to know what this episode of Deep Space Nine. He's a. He's, yeah, I'm telling you, it's Martok, and he it, came back. He didn't die. No, he either. didn't come back. It's not Martok. He's like a. He, it's Worf. Uh, uh, Worf has to vouch for a a former Klingon yeah, hero. Yeah, oh, that is Blood Oath then. And Jed Z is in it too. It's Kor, Kang, and Kodos. Koloth. Kodos. That's Kodos is, the, is from Conscious of the King. Uh, and Blood Oath, and they go and they attack, and then one of them dies. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's Blood Oath. That's that's what I thought it was at first. But it was okay. one of those episodes that, like, uh, and I, you know, uh, that kind of like, I, I uh, great. You, d- you didn't need context. No, it's the story of well, gonna, old warriors. Here's and I what loved, you did. I love this. I love that because you were, I, and it just came to mind because you were talking about literature and archetypes, and and old warriors is is something that 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 pops up every so often. Because um, I, I like how Star Trek has always had to negotiate its desire for utopian peace with the the real politic reality of martial strength. Well, yes, and that's always you know even even Kirk. I mean, well, Kirk, you know, it's a Kennedy uh, era uh, cipher was was uh, was all about that. So it also that, uh, that that negotiation also produced the greatest line in all of Star Trek. From which era? Uh, even Nixon <laughs> went right. to China. Possibly. Right. Which, you know, uh, not to bring it back to today's political talk, yeah, to yeah. all the stuff, and you know, because again. Only, is it, yeah, only is, Nixon. Is, is, is I, and I think I, I said this to a friend as he was trying to negotiate uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, uh, checkered record, let's say, yeah. and innu- innuendos. It's like even, even Nixon go to China. Um, right. Uh, uh, politics sometimes require. No one's pure. No one's pure. And uh, the, the 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 what I was talking about with friends about uh, Hillary Clinton, and you know, I think most people raise an eyebrow, Spock like, when they really dig into. Um, yes, she would go to Goldman Sachs, and she would have a lunch meeting yeah. with maybe twelve people, and no recording devices, and talk as if she has something so wonderful to say to these 12 Goldman Sachs executives and then leave with a $50,000 check. What the hell did she say? The real scandal isn't that she did that. The real scandal is that that isn't illegal. Like, what she did is perfectly fine. Yeah, but, you know, going back to what we're talking about in the beginning, if if these parties are alliances, having that kind of wealth in your tent is Part of the you know you know look right I, yeah it's fine it's it's what you need to do and they say well she shouldn't do it because she was she wasn't secretary of state at the time no but she knew she would be running for president again it's it's totally corrupt but it's also like who gives a shit and like what what is she really gonna do like she met twelve Goldman executives looked them in the eye and they're like and they're like listen we're gonna need a favor from you someday and it's like yeah if your favor is reasonable sure you're gonna have my number if you want me to suddenly do Something that's so ridiculous that it can't ever happen. No, I mean, it, well, it's another conversation about it. you know Americans have a very I, I, naive is one word for it. Misunderstanding is another word <laughs> of power and what power is. Right. You know, we 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 don't we like to tell ourselves 
look, if you're a politician, if you're a senator or a governor, you're having a great time. <laughs> yeah. You know, money isn't yeah. power. Uh, 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 it, it can get you access. It can get you to power. Right. But I, we just have a we just have a misunderstanding of of of, of what power is. Sure. And, and then the other thing is like um, you know the Clinton Foundation. First of all, let's say fifty percent of all the money in the Clinton Foundation goes to needy people. Great. Fifty percent more than that. All right. But let's be let's give the 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 the, the Bill O'Reillys and the of the world. Uh, uh, let's say half. So let's say fifty percent, and the rest of it is for upkeep and whatnot. So you say, okay. So the Clinton Foundation sends Bill and Hillary Clinton to Bahrain to do a speech, and then come back, and they cover the costs, and they cover the hotel, and they cover the meals. To somebody who has never traveled outside of the United States, that's like, oh my God, that's such a scandal. But when you're Bill and Hillary Clinton, the last thing you really want to do is travel, like traveling a lot. Even in first class and staying in another hotel, it's a pain in the ass. You got to bring your toothbrush. You got to bring your overnight <laughs> stuff. You're sitting on a plane. You know, it, it is. You know, <clears throat> if 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 the money in the Clinton Foundation is you know putting them in a nice hotel, they're not impressed by a nice hotel at this point in their lives. That's not going to turn the dial for them and make them corrupt to the point of giving whoever gave money something extraordinary. That's that's day to day for somebody like this. So, I, well, yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, and it's two other things too. Like, do the ends justify the means when you're talking about shipping truckloads of medicines to HIV patients in Africa? Right. And number two, yeah, sure. the, the, the Clinton Foundation conversation is really about how we structure uh, charities. Because, uh, you know, there are a lot of charities in this country with, uh, you know, shady uh, oh, yeah. shady financials yes. and where, where the wrong percentages of money go to organization and infrastructure versus actual charity. Um, it's very uh, hard to know who to give. Like, if you want well, to give you money know, the, to charity. Yeah, part really of the conversation about the Clinton Foundation, which has a demonstrable record of helping uh, 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 people in third world countries, especially when it comes to AIDS, yeah. they have a, a verifiable record, but it's a broader conversation. Our charities, even the Red Cross, uh, could probably be run better. And I yeah. think that I think. And look, you know, sorry, Clinton Foundation. If 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 you're the sacrificial lamb, um, it sh it should be a conversation. Because the other thing too that's been revealed with Donald Trump is that you know a lot of so-called philanthropists. Yes. Right? I mean, philanth jokers. Philanthropy yeah. is a beautiful word for, you know, tax evasion. Right. Um, well, um, so, like, you know, so there's a bigger conversation. Well, you know, because when I because when I give money to charity, and I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, you know, who are we? What are we? You know, it's a, it, it, ten it, bucks here, twenty bucks here. It's whenever there's a new earthquake, you feel terrible. Even, yeah. You know, when I give a, even a little bit of money, yeah, I'm. I think, oh, well, then I am. I it is going to children. It is going. Uh, to the survivors of domestic abuse, yeah. and and it's a really awful feeling to think. Well, maybe why would nine of my ten dollars go to something not not go to someone who's hungry or go to someone right? Who's, it's to maintain the infrastructure of the charity. Right. It's to it's it's you know so that's that's the conversation, right? I and think people, people listen. I, I have people in my family that have worked for nonprofits, and um, 
they make a good salary, but they also work right. hard, you know, and yeah. that's, you know, and, and these are, I have someone in my family uh, who worked for like a, one of these diseases, didn't work for the disease, worked for the thing trying to stop the disease. Right. And uh, she put her whole life into it and worked really, really hard, but she made a good salary. So, you know, when you're donating to that uh, cause, you know, part of it is, is, is that, and that's, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. But then there are, there is a little bit of, um, I do have a streak of, of free market libertarianism in me. I have great respect for L. Ron Hubbard. Um, and I feel that was Hubbard, a free market. Well, I respect anybody who starts I a business. PT <laughs> Barnum, L. Ron Hubbard. I respect part of me. Uh, capitalists. Capitalists, and I think caveat emptor is a really important uh, thing. I was one of the first things my grandpappy told me when I sat on his knee was buyer beware, look out, don't be a schmuck, and look somebody in the eye and make sure they're telling you the truth. And um, if you donate to something without checking under the hood and you get screwed, it's kind of on you, don't you think? Uh... I in principle yes, <laughs> but but it, it that is difficult to do when organizations, you know, tra- transparency yeah is important in capitalism yes, and we have a system where organizations and businesses can spend more money to prevent you from properly looking under the hood. Like it, it is, it is, it is, it is difficult. It is tough. Uh, look, I, you know, a, a consumer without strong regulation or without uh, a radical transparency, a consumer is more often than not at the mercy of businesses who say, "Trust me." Right. Uh, you know, and that, that would go the same with charities or any large right. institutions. And people don't always have the time. If no. you're in need and you need a product now, uh, look that that is something that is that is an old trick in politics too. Like yeah. like you don't you don't want voters to be educated, right? What did you think? There was a thing on social media recently that that some people were complaining that there was a fraud meme flying around. You don't have to wait online to vote if you want to vote for Hillary. Text Hillary. <laughs> to the number, did you see this? Text Hillary to five zero five zero five. I've not seen it. I, and it was flying around, and then a lot of people um, on the left were saying this is classic voter suppression. Uh, and this preys upon uh, minorities. This preys upon, and I'm like, this preys upon schmucks. Like I don't like if you're gonna fall for that. I I, I, I don't I don't I'm not too hard on people who fall for that. That said, yeah. You know, one reason I have high hopes for the Democrats right now is that they have a pretty good get-out-the-vote machine. Yeah. Politics is ultimately, with all the fanfare and commercials, it is a ground game. And sometimes you win because you pay people to grab people and drag them to the polls. <laughs> right. And voter suppression – Psychological games, yeah, lies, is is a cherished, <laughs> uh, classic <laughs> tradition tool in the American uh, democratic process. Yeah, uh, trying to keep the other guy's people from getting to the polls. Yeah, it's part of the game. It is part the of the game. The best offense is a, is a good defense. Now, you know, one one thing I you know, th- 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 there was a meme going around that the Russians. 
would try yeah. to hack this election. Yeah. American democracy is a jankety shit show. <laughs> yeah. It is multiple states and counties and districts yeah. with all kinds of different ancient Sometimes scantrons. you scan, sometimes right. you poke a you, hole. You can't yeah. hack a yeah. system that is a shambling Frankenstein right. of shitty processes. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of beautiful in a way. Um, uh, but like, you know, lion yeah. is part of it. Yeah. You know, um, so in that degree, like, you know, if, if you're going to, but, but like, you know, it's capitalism. You, right. so, sometimes you make a buck by lying. Most of the time you make a buck by lying. That's just the system we've agreed right. on. I have a weird respect for people who make a buck by lying, but then I ultimately feel like they need to, to get caught. You know, but, but then the, and then when they do get caught, I'm like, "F that guy. He should go to jail." But kind of is awesome what he did. That's the system too. Yeah, like L, like L. Ron Hubbard. I'm fascinated by the guy. I, he wrote science fiction books that nobody would read, and then he realized that he would be making a lot more well, keep money. Keep in mind, you yeah. know what he did. Yeah, and that's one of the great things. One of the great points in going clear. Yeah, is that Dianetics. Yeah, was an enormous blockbuster. In a new post-war book genre called self-help. After the war, 80 million people dead over 10, 15 years. A horror show. Yeah. Unprecedented bloodletting. There were people who were like a little wobbly on religion. How, how, what do I look for in this world that would put 80 million people through a meat grinder? And so this genre came up. Yeah. Self-help. And he it saw, wasn't psychotic, right? He saw a niche there. Dianetics yeah. was a was a genre book, a self help hit that he just spun and spun and spun into a profitable religion. Right. That wasn't. There was never a master plan. No. He no. Just, no. No. So, you know, self help is a fascinating. Yeah. You know, because keep in mind, late forties, early fifties, psychology is still very much in the dark ages. Yeah. Lobotomies and sanatoriums. It's very much in the dark ages. Uh, people are having massive crises of faith uh, because, again, the world, the, you know, we romanticize World War II, but no, it was civilization eating itself, <laughs> yeah. eviscerating itself and tap dancing in its guts. Yeah. Um, and then the genre came up, self-help. Various people were like, here, you know, here's some new visions. Here's new ways to be, new ways to uh, uh, to see the world and to be happy and fulfilled. It was also when the sci-fi boom was. And it was not, probably not it, it, it was, it, it you know? was this wonderful confluence of things. Yeah. But but you know, L. Ron Hubbard's first con was creating a book that said, "Here is a way to be more fulfilled. Here is a way to be happier. Here is the here is a new way born in the wreckage of the old way." Yeah. You know, because again, we look those years. It, it's just a wonder. Civilization was able to rebuild. That was a, a horrible, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, event. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating stuff, and um, you know, and and you you uh, you know, you see, you see those kind of scoundrels in Star Trek too, uh, that are taking advantage of people like that, and then you have the Ferengi, who at first seem like they're part of that also. But what Deep Space Nine did that was kind of interesting was yeah. say, but that's their culture. Well, yeah. Know? In the next generation, 
there is a critique, the Ferengi are a critique of capitalism. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'm not entirely sure. You're the expert. Next Generation is when we hear clues about the economy of the future, right? Like money. Well, it's always been very, it was always very But, but there's vague. references, like Picard, I think, references like. Uh, only very far off world. Like on the Federation, things are cool. What I, be what I believe the case is, and it, it is elliptical, um, <clears throat> there is guaranteed income because it's, there are no slackers. You know, there's a, there there is, um, if there you live on Earth, for example, there's guaranteed income because but there is also plenty. There is the replicator. And yeah, there's no resource. I mean, there, there, you know, capitalism is a way to uh, manage limited resources. Right, right. And in a future where fundamental resources are unlimited, yeah. that changes the economy. Well, it, correct. But it's not quite so unlimited as you may think. So, so, for example, there are references later in Deep Space Nine of when you're on Earth and you want to transport. Not everybody has their own personal transporter. So if you're in... Pakistan and want to tra transport San Diego, you got to use one of your transporter credits, you know? Uh, so, so technology is rationed. I think it's future. It's time management more than anything because, you know, everybody wants to go. You got to get online. You got to, you can't just, tra yeah, you can't just transport willy nilly. It takes up resources. So you're allowed to do it. Everybody has access to it. You just got a plan, you know, and if you need an emergency transport, I'm sure there would be a reason and they would let you cut to the front of the line. But it's not. But there are sort of elliptical references to credit systems on Earth. But in terms of food, there's plenty of food. Right. Um, and in terms of jobs, everybody has a job and people advance in a particular chosen field based on uh you know their their pursuits like you know it's a meritocracy and if someone's really good at botany they want to become the best botanist and work really really hard and get a good job in the chief botany lab because it is the righteous thing to do so this is a little bit of the jewish influence <clears throat> because there is no afterlife in, in judaism as you know because believe me one night one life is enough so um why lead a righteous life because it is righteous to do so. The circle, cyclical thinking, it begs the question. Well, you but, know, but let me, you know, I, I know a bit about ancient Jewish texts. <laughs> Why then, Yeah. near the end of the first act of Fiddler on the Roof, <laughs> does Tevye say that ghosts have visited, you know, he's trying to... Oh, there's mysticism. Well, that, but that's old world. That's how can I'm just saying, yeah. how can there be ghosts if there's no afterlife? All right. That's a very good question because these were simple people <laughs> and they were not learned men. That's probably the answer. You know, they, you know, all Eastern European what is, shtetl Jews had loads of little ticks and, and quirk, like they would throw salt. They would have the evil eye, uh, the hamsa, the hand, you know, they were as much as any other. Uh, cultures from that period that would have uh, mysticism that is not particularly in line with the religion. But that's just the... So here's my the, pitch for Catholicism. The, yeah, that's just the schism, though, between theologians and real world. Here's my pitch for uh, yeah. Catholicism. When you die, yeah. you get a nice robe. Robe, yeah, yeah. And all the spaghetti you can eat. <laughs> It's like the Olive Garden, <laughs> just, and that's all the salad and breadsticks. You just—it's like a gif. Yeah. You just sit there and you just slurp spaghetti. Yeah, 
fraternity. Yeah, who's going to be a fr- Well, I mean, as long as there's enough sauce. Real quickly, uh, yeah. uh, Frankier villains in Roddenberry's Star Trek Next Generation. They were just underdeveloped, yes. But out of the gate, the yeah. introduction, and, and they are a pretty... I mean, it's a pretty arch criticism of capitalism. Yes. In, in DS9, yeah. from what I can remember and from what I... Re- uh, uh, it, it's almost... There's an honor in their capitalism. Yes, yes. And this is something... Which I find fascinating because then the question is, yeah. you know, Ameri- we fetishize capitalism, uh, but I could make an argument that that we are not a meritocracy and that due to the lack of regulation and transparency, uh, we are not a best, go, you know, best ascend. We're very much a status quo society. If you, you get yours and, yeah. then you entra- and then you protect it. The Ferengi on Deep Space Nine are, you know, people like to talk about Deep Space Nine being very rich and having a lot to sink your teeth into, and that is best exemplified by the Ferengi because they are, there are so many different ways to approach it. First of all, they are the comic relief. When it's a Ferengi episode, it's a silly episode because they look funny. And the, 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 the Wallace Shawn. Yeah, Wallace Shawn. I love him. He's an amazing playwright. Yeah. And I love that designated mourner. Amazing. Yeah. I love that he was a DS9 yeah. regular. And once love a season. It. He was on every season. That's Grand Nagus Zek. I interviewed him once. He was he, on every season? He had at least one. Yeah. I believe so. Was he, he showed in the up. first season? Yeah. The Grand Nagus. I didn't even. Yeah, I to, he he was in an episode called the Nagus, and it was like they're bringing in the the the, the head Ferengi, and it's ooh, Alishan. He's so um, great. <clears throat> I once interviewed him in the offices of uh, in in Vanity Fair's offices uh, in, at the Condonese building, the old one here in New York, and he and Andre Gregory came in because they were doing something together, as they often do, and I was interviewing them, and it was for a very different part of my brain. For the you know the more erudite part of my brain, and I'm like I'm not letting Wallace Shawn out of this room before I talk about his Deep Space Nine yeah. years, and so we're talking about Anton Chekhov because they had done a Chekhov film with yeah. Jonathan Demme. Uh, Uncle uh, Ivani and Forty Seconds. No, no, those the other, he did one that too. He revisited it recently. They did. Um, oh, that's right. They no, did. it was not Chekhov. It was the other guy, Ibsen. They did. Yes, um, yeah, I know what you're saying. I know, I know. I get. It. I haven't Dalton, seen it. Not Doll's House. What's the famous one? Uh, Desert. The the the. The the builder wild duck no I I, uh, I know what you're talking about I know I know the builder and think, the young people are coming and they're yeah. um very fa- it's like the most famous play in history come on look it up just type in Ibsen I mean, play it's I, the first I, I, one I, hold on it's not the first one because that would be Doll's House all right it's the second one just give me can, can talk it. talk yeah. while I look up what the the point I'm making is we're talking about intelligent things. And then I'm like, I'm not going to let him out of here until I talk about the Grand Nagus. Master Zek. Builder. Master Builder. What did I say? Construction? The construction worker? Yeah. Master Builder. Yes, that great Lego movie spinoff, The Master Builder. <laughs> so um, it, it was a uh, it was a uh, it was an Ibsen uh, reference in the Lego movie. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the point I'm making is we're about to wrap up the interview and I'm Ooh. like, Wallace Shawn. I want to talk a little bit about a character that you played for years on television, Grand Nagus Zek. And he said, and he has that voice. I mean, he amps it up for Inconceivable and for Grand Nagus Zek. And he says, nobody ever talks to me about Deep Space Nine, but I love doing it. And, you know, he really had plenty of great stories to tell. Andre Andre Gregory, right? Yeah. 
great great director. Yeah, my dinner with I, uh, amazing guy. Yeah, sometime in the nineties, I guess. Because when did Deep Space Nine happen? In the nineties. But w- yeah, what was, was the first episode? Ninety three, like, I think, was right. the first episode, give or take. Here's the conversation, real quickly. Andre Gregory talking yeah. with Ronald Sean. Andre Gregory. So you're doing a Star Trek TV show. Walshon, yeah, it's great. You should do something like that. Andre Gregory, to his agent, yes, I will appear in Demolition Man. (laughs) (laughs) And is that true? I believe he is in, he is briefly in uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone's and Wesley Snipes' amazing science fiction mid-90s movie that I saw out of my mind on LSD, and I'm, I'm, I, 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 I he has to be in it because I don't know why I would hallucinate Andre Gregory. You right. fell asleep and thought of my dinner with Andre during. If I'm gonna hallucinate right. out of my mind on LSD in the mid '90s, it's not going to be, uh, uh you know, a devotee of Grotowski. <laughs> Do you know Andre Gregory also was in? He doesn't act much. You know, he's a theater director, and he's in my dinner with Andre. He was in uh, a great biblical film. He played John the Baptist in Martin Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ. He has like one scene. That movie, look, I did not even know that. That All I know, but I, I, I love them. I loved uh, Bowie as pilot. Right. And I loved, I loved, hey, Jesus. Hey, right. hey, Jesus. Harvey Keitel is Judas love Iscariot. It. I love Judas as someone, hey, hey, son of man. <laughs> I'm gonna betray you <laughs> for thirty pieces of silver. We we uh, we got to wrap this up, John. But I know uh, what's fun. It's sad when you and I were emailing. We said we would talk a lot about Riker because yes. we love the character Riker. We barely talked about him, but, and we, we, I, but we hit on him. We a got little. sidetracked by by politics, but it's a big day, and uh, we also didn't talk about one of your favorite movies as a kid, which has a, dis- a direct Star Trek connection beyond generic I shouldn't say generic but just general science fiction Patrick Stewart before he was uh, Picard was in David Lynch's Dune Journey and Dune is um, a great is it a great movie? it is a phenomenal film You should have started the podcast about Dune because we were talking about – you asked me about uh, why I got into Star Trek and yeah. I brought up formative 80s movies. Yeah. And Dune was a formative 80s movie for me. Sting in a truss. I, keep in mind you – know, A they, metal truss. They, there was a there, – there's a, there's, a, there's a rumor. I don't know if it's been s- substantiated. But you know, after The Elephant Man, David Lynch was a hot property. And at one point, I believe he was one of many directors considered for Return of the Jedi. He was, right. yes. Along with it, David Cronenberg. Instead, you know, Dino De Laurentiis hooked him in to uh, – to, Produce, you know, Frank Herbert's unfilmable, <laughs> socio-political, thousand, you know, dream crazy book. One thousand pages. Give I or take. love that movie. I love that movie. I love that movie because it's about David Lynch. You know, it's about uh, n- nightmare penises and sand. It's about space cocaine. <laughs> it's about uh, ribbed leather. It's uh, <laughs> it is it is a you know, and anyone and oh, you know, oh, I would love it. I would love it for someone to get into a conversation with me about how. It's a terrible movie compared to the book. I read the book. F the book. (laughs) 
I don't care about the book. It's one of the the dumbest conversations on the internet ever. Yeah. It's like every whenever you try to write anything about Lynch's Dune, it's not as good as the book. F you and the book. No one wants to see the book. Sci-Fi Channel tried to create. They tried. Yeah. I never saw it. Sucked. Yeah. You know what I want? I want a malevolent levitating fat man <laughs> pulling heart plugs out of twinks <laughs> i love that movie so hard i love it melange yeah. the, 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 the 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 fucking what do you call it the uh, the narration yeah never a drop of rain on you know i like <laughs> I, and i'm a little kid and my brain is being blown by this movie it is so erotic it is so insane it's got max von sydow uh, it's with, got the greatest contact. cast ever. <laughs> Max von Sydow, Jose Ferreira as, and look, Mr. Ferreira, I loved you in in Cyrano de Bergerac. Okay, so <laughs> here's you are a, an ancient space emperor. <laughs> to one side, you got evil, maybe good space nuns trying to breed a galactic Jesus. Yeah. And what's going to come in right now in a giant tank right. is a malformed, I don't know. It's a giant semen. Just it's a, a huge <laughs> maggot. Well, it's it's an individual semen blown up. Right. They're it's, part of this guild right, the that gets everybody. That, that, and, and in the future, yeah. we travel space through no. intense. They fold time. Yes. Space travels to, us. Thanks to sweet cocaine. <laughs> Spacing guild, you know, and like so that, like you know, the this planet, yeah. and you know, they're bad because the planet looks bad. What, what was they, the what oh, was the so good? You know, oh, light, I love it. Lightsabers and phases are great, but the oh, doohickey, the force shields, well, so the force great. Are, but the thing, the that, slow blade penetrates the shield. What about the um the spit with the weirding way, right? Oh, my name is a killing name, Devor. <laughs> Devo- I mean, but it's so... Wait, what is the thingamajig on his wrist? Yeah, the weirding. It's just called the weirding device. Module or something. The weirding module. How is that not as ubiquitous as a, a lightsaber? Well, because, look, it's the 80s, right? It, yeah. it was a very macho time. We're talking missiles and yeah. phalluses. And so we have two competing yeah. uh, phallus icons, a glowing laser dick, right? Yeah. Versus Lynch's answer. Yeah. Which are these ribbed worm <laughs> penises. And so in the in the penis iconography yeah. war, Star Trek wins. I, I was mentioning this off air. My they tried when when the studio got Dune, I, the marketing people were like, It's our Star Wars. Yeah. It's our Star Wars. Let's take a look at it and then let's let's brainstorm the merchandising. Because yeah. Lucas, we're gonna make so much money. Dune Merchandising moolah. Yeah. After the movie, they're like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> All right, I guess we'll make a Paul Atreides. He's just in a black uh, leather suit, and then there's the villain, who's got black toenail polish, <laughs> and then the what's the big monster? Oh, the worms. Yeah. We'll make the worms. I begged my mom for a Dune space worm, and bless her heart, I don't know why she bought it for me. <laughs> I I am the man I am now because as a nine-year-old, ten, whatever, however old I was, I was able to run around outside playing with a ribbed black dildo <laughs> whose mouth opened at the end to reveal uh, pink teeth. Right. This was the vagina dentata and the dildo this all at once. This was my most beloved toy in my <laughs> space operas. Space worm. 
trumped rancor. Wow. If you was a battle between my space worm, yeah. my two most beloved sandworm. Toys. Yeah, 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 sandworm, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Look at that. Yeah. Oh my. That's look at that. Sweet heavenly God. Brian created a photo, brought up the toy. Jesus. I wish I had that toy. What did, was your mother thinking when she bought this? I was a proto Harry Potter yeah. running around casting spells with a plastic sandworm toy. Mm. I'm sure there were mothers who were like Timmy. Yeah. <laughs> little, when you're done with John, the toy. John is a nice, nice <laughs> little boy. But we don't hang out with little boys who play with dildos. <laughs> I love that sandworm yeah. with all of my heart. And I love that movie. That yeah. movie is underrated. The it's, design is phenomenal. It's wonderful. And you know what? Fran, uh, David Lynch did his level best to cram the pageantry and royal intrigue and bizarreness of Frank Herbert's book yeah. into three Practically comprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> that that Toto, that score at the end. Oh, yeah. oh, it's the best. When I die, yeah. And when we get done, you pull it up. Yeah. Toto's final fanfare. Yeah. The music at the end of Dune. That is what I want played at my funeral. Right. As you're blasted off. It is. It is. It is melancholy and epic and utterly beautiful. The the uh, there are multiple cuts of Lynch's Dune. Yeah, there's an Alan Smithy cut. Right. Well, the, and it, I don't know which cut it is. It's the longest cut, uh, but it opens with lo not just narration, like Tol yeah. Tolstoy level text, uh, just blocks and blocks of paragraphs with, with, of text with terrible uh, drawings. Yeah, with with yeah. what were probably left over from the art room. Yeah, you know, just that is the Alan Smithy version. Okay. And so if you look at it, it's directed by Alan Smithy. Right. And uh, 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 I believe I, I th that was a version that was played on TV for a while, and it was awful. It was terrible. I can it was more. It was more Dune. I can rewatch that movie over <laughs> and over. Like, I get chills yeah. when they ride the sandworm. Oh, it's wonderful. It's oh, wonderful. It's, it was, and what's great about the voice, the blue eyes. Oh, my God. When the sandworm is... Um, is uh, called by vibration, so yeah, you bang, thumpers. you thump the sand, and that is like you know these burly men crouching down. Fum, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Fum. I mean, it's very uh, it's it's everything. And I'll tell you, Dune is significant because it wrecked for multiple reasons, but it really wrecked Lynch. That was his one big studio mega picture. Yeah. It wrecked him. He went into he went internal. He he talks about yeah. uh how difficult it was. And instead of succumbing to the failure, you know, he kind of went internal and then pr uh produced uh his follow-up was an independent movie called Blue Velvet. A masterpiece. A masterpiece, and, and a rare cinematic masterpiece because, you know, he got rejected by the studio system cr and created an independent movie that, that wasn't just a movie. It created an entire creative vocabulary for him uh, because, you know, Blue Velvet fe feeds into Wild at Heart. It feeds into Twin Peaks. Yeah. He created a vibration, uh, an uh, just this vibe. The the Lynchian, the thing that we call Lynchian, starts at Blue Velvet. Really, it really does. And I don't think he would have found that if he did, had not crashed and burned so epically. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. I mean, there are elements of it in Eraserhead. Um, elements, but, sure. But it was uh, he was still creating. 
fine art. He was not creating narrative films, and which he's doing now. Not that he's working too much these days, but his no. last his last film was also incomprehensible. But but to Inland a, Empire, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, right. But but like Mulholland Drive, which I would argue is the first and only classic of the century. Hmm. Um, of the new century is that would not have happened that that exists in the same world as Blue Velvet. Correct. So Dune's failure reaped tremendous rewards. For and I don't all. even you know it was a box office failure. Oh yeah. But it, it was it was an elegant and experimental and bizarre and lovely uh, studio blockbuster. Yeah. It, it even the structure of it. The three acts are big. And I love how weird. they tried to spin it in the 80s as for kids, as like this is the next Star Wars, Star Trek, E.T. And then very soon oh, most I people were like, it. no way. So now, much. you know, there are movies like this that still come out. Did you see Alex Proyas's Gods of Egypt? Oh, <laughs> I did. I went to the movie theater so at good. 11 a.m. and so saw that. So good. You know, I, I, I won't agree on, you know, but I will agree on Jupiter Ascending. Yeah. Yes. Is I, is, is in uh, the same ballpark. I didn't I, like I, it as much. But. I think. Well, I think, Gods of Egypt was loony, but you could see in Gods of Egypt an attempt to, <laughs> to create <laughs> Clash of the Titans, sure. and then it just fell apart. Yeah. Jupiter ascending seemed. I mean, it's got space cops that talk to bees. It's got right. you know, like like jets, uh, rollers, right? Bla- you know, jet rollerblades. It's yeah. you know, it's got uh, races that eat planets. Uh, it is goofy as shit, <laughs> and I and I love it for that. But Jupiter Ascending is probably one of my favorite B movies of the, uh, of recent lore that I will probably watch in five years and be like, I love it. It's yeah. so goofy. Well, um, I, I, I'm more of a Gods of Egypt man, um, but I do think both of those movies, which tanked, uh, deserve better. John Carter also wasn't that bad either, that tank. You know, somebody somebody rewatched it and and was kind to it. Yeah. And I, I, I might want to watch that. I, I just, you know, I like auteurs who are given budgets. Well, if you consider what's his name, I don't. Um, what was the guy who did John Carter? I he was an animation yeah, guy. Yeah. He did like um, Monsters Inc. That was his thing. He went from Monsters Inc. to no, no. He went from uh, Andrew Stanton was his name. I, I, I he did to, a lot of the Pixar. I movies. have to rewatch it because I loved Edgar Rice Burroughs's John Carter books as yeah, a kid. Yeah, I, I found them in a thrift store. Right. I was drawn the way that you should grew, be. Because you grew up in 1941. I love <laughs> thrift stores. I yeah. love thrift stores. But because of thrift stores, I was able to, at a young age, get hooked into lurid, shitty genre sure. science fiction fantasy books. My mother would never let me buy books at thrift stores because they probably had um, germs on them. That's the only reason I went to thrift stores was to buy books. Germs. B- books. Oh, okay. Yeah, my mother was like, no, they're moldy and they smell. Well, your you mother can- didn't buy you <laughs> a plastic <laughs> nightmare penis. And with that, we got to wrap it up. John DeVore, thanks. People can follow your work, uh, God, all over the internet. Just, all- just follow me on Twitter, On Jordan. Twitter. What is your Twitter handle? It is at John DeVore. D-E-V-O-R-E. Sometimes even you and I banter. Yeah, sometimes. Well, I hope to have you back on some other time. This was a lot lot, of fun. A lot of fun. A great way to distract ourselves from the election that's happening today. Yeah, I'm going to go and emotionally eat right now for (laughs) the next 12 hours. (laughs) 
All right. We'll have you back on soon. And thanks again for listening. And uh, again, uh, remember to like us on Facebook and um, tweet at us. You can tweet me at, at Jay Hoffman. Use the hashtag EngagePod. Next week's episode will uh, have more Star Trek content in it. I promise. It won't just be about current events. And we'll see you soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.